And Adam. And, uh, yeah, and James. Uh, <laughs> and Jim Jones. And, Jim Jones. and, and welcome to Natural Disasters. To Natural Disasters. Pandemic edition. Yeah, so we are uh, coming to you from Zoom with James Jelks of uh, Flores Winery in Santa Cruz. James, thanks for joining us, bud. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for thinking of me. Yeah, um, so James, actually, like, your wines have been some of my favorite wines in the last year they've been released. Um, I was really happy when Amy Atwood um, picked you up to distribute last year. And I first tried your wines, like, in October, and I was absolutely blown away. Um awesome buy them um as california wines i just think there's such an incredible fresh take on things especially like grapes that we normally think of like like more like your morvedra and like you know just incredible and then today we are drinking your moon milk chardonnay from sanders which we are all drinking actually yes and honestly I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited about where this wine has come around to be i feel like when it was first bottled it was still kind of it is low in alcohol um, and that decision was more just based on where I thought the vineyard ripens, um, not because I necessarily wanted to make a low alcohol wine, but that's where the acidities were correct and waiting any longer, it probably would have gotten a little, um, flatter. But when I did first bottle it, I actually thought it was sort of austere and I was worried that it was going to be like too sour for some people, but like right now I'm pumped on it. And the aromatics are like really working. I think it's, it's really I mean, beautiful. But yeah, it, I mean, I don't. I, I, I always hate giving an example. I don't know, but it's like it, this is like it's 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 not. It's very Chablis-y. Chablis-y. Yeah, it. Um, I mean, and just for our listeners, you know, the nose has like a kind of. Um, I mean, and possibly this. I mean, it might be because I'm from California, but like to me, the nose does take me to, to California, like off the nose, but in a good way. It's not like a buttery, oaky Chardonnay, which is like fine if you like that stuff. Personally, it's not really my thing, but you can like you can um almost smell that it's textured in a way like it has like a nice like honey like textured but bright citrus nose on it and i think that that also comes through in the flavors and uh the acidity on it is really lifting and beautiful and it's just a real it's a really great chardonnay i just i it's it's gorgeous awesome yeah um yeah because, it's and it's really, things, really juicy oh. Sorry, go on, Adam. As we just like, as we just gas up, as we just gas up, James. We're just like, you're so. No, it's one of those wines where, where like, I feel like hearing people say these days, like, I don't like Chardonnay is kind of common, for whatever reason. I feel like you hear people say that, um, but this is one of those wines that completely goes against that, and it's like, anybody who says I don't like Chardonnay, you can put this in front of them, and 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 they'll be completely. I don't think they'll be like, what? But like, it'll be like, oh, no, there's no way you can't like this wine. It doesn't matter what your preconceived notion of Chardonnay is. Right. Yeah, I think Chardonnay, I mean, one of the reasons I wanted to work with it was, well, part of it I attribute to like the time period I got into wine. When I got into wine, basically in about 2009, Chardonnay and Pinot were really, Pinot Noir especially was the darling. You know, if we looked back like 30 years, it was Bordeaux varieties, but so I fell in love with Pinot, and so I had to work with Pinot and Chard. I've had the opportunity to work over in Burgundy, and I, yeah, just like hands down, Chardonnay can make some of the most interesting, or it, it can consistently make a lot of amazing wines, and I've always wanted to work with it. Um, yeah, I kind of joke that people are now becoming too cool for Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, especially in the realm we sort of participate in, but 
I think that there's a lot of interesting things you can still do with it to make it more exciting. And also it is sort of a boon that they are still, um, they are in demand. So, you know, people are still buying Pinot Noir and Chardonnay like crazy, but people are also getting excited and trying new things like Sanso and um, well, whatever that popped into my mind, but they're it's getting- really, It's interesting to me that you, that you worked in Burgundy, that you said that you worked in Burgundy, because what I was gonna say that this reminded me of actually is more of like an aligote. Um, right. like it has like a crispness, a crispness, not crispness, um, to it that I was like, oh, this reminds me of like the aligotes I, that I really, really like, but it still has a bit of a California feel to it. Um, so you studied and like, I guess we kind of like got, um, a little ahead of ourselves, but James, uh, why don't we do a little background on how you got into winemaking and, um, yeah. Cause I, for example, I didn't know that you, that you were in, over in Burgundy. So let's, uh. Let's hear about the story. I didn't think the- you were old enough <laughs> to have uh, drank wine in 2009. I, I wasn't, but I was, well, I was 18 and that's, well, that's when I, uh, so yeah. Uh, I feel so old. How old are you? I'm 20, <laughs> turning 30 in December. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm like, oh yeah. 2009 was like 10 years ago. Sorry. I keep thinking that's like three years ago. Yeah. Um, just kidding. Okay. All right. I'm like, I don't feel so old now as a 34 year old. Okay. Go ahead. Continue on with your story. Um, so yeah, I was born in Santa Cruz, but really I grew up in Davis, California. Um, my mom was a research scientist and my dad has more of an agricultural background. Um, his family has a cattle ranch and he had an organic farm in the Cape Valley. And so I sort of joke that they almost like bred a winemaker, like science and agriculture went really well yeah. together. Yeah. Um, but I was always like a really intensive hobbyist doing like my own thing. Um, whether it was fixing old scooters or, um, keeping and breeding poison dart frogs or saltwater reef aquariums. Um, so I always had these kind of passion interests and I wanted to travel abroad um, when I was graduating high school. And uh, UC, I was already committed to going to UC Santa Barbara, but UC Davis had summer broad programs, like a month long, you could go study culture in Spain, but there was winemaking in Burgundy, France. And so I went and did their introduction to winemaking program as an 18 year old allowed to drink in Europe, but not here. And I mean, I didn't know anything about wine besides casually getting to like maybe taste something my parents were drinking. And, um, but I was always, even in high school, I was brewing kombucha and always had weird projects going. So once I saw the world of wine and the horticultural, the horticulture in the vineyards, uh, the like mechanics in the winery, and then just like the alchemy and magic of fermentation and sort of the reverence for it, uh, the mystique behind it, it just, it hooked me and it hooked me hard. Not initially though. I guess like I was always thought it was uh, something that you were either born into or sort of like a soul. I don't know. You had to buy your way into or, um, but there's obviously it's a very big industry with a lot of jobs. Um, and really it was through, I kept reading about wine and like getting people to buy me whatever was $4 at Trader Joe's while I was studying at UC Santa Barbara under 21. Um, but eventually I was reading a book about wine and just like clicked. It's like, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm going to do. Um, and so I transferred to Davis. I did do their enology and viticulture program. And early on, I had kind of discovered the world of natural wine through like Hardy Wallace's, his old blog. Uh, I f- yeah. I forget the name of it, but Hardy and Wallace is the winemaker of Dirty and Rowdy, for those of you that don't know. Yeah. And also, like, I signed up for Alice Firing's first, like, firing newsletter. And so it, it just always appealed to me. And people would tease me and Davis being like, oh, James, like, 
likes wines with the VA, <laughs> whatever. Um, and so that world was always important to me. And so basically when I made that transition to wanting to go into wine, I transferred to Davis and the, from UC Santa Barbara doing aquatic biology down there. And, uh, I was looking into the wineries nearby kind of with the emphasis on the natural winemaking. And I knew there was Brock cellars and uh, donking goat and really without traffic, it's only like 40 or 45 minutes from where I was at. So I was sort of an involuntary intern in 2000 or involved. That's not what I'm, I, I was like a volunteer. Intern. I'm like, uh, I was like, so you were a slave. You, yeah. <laughs> so, but, uh, I just helped out a bunch in 2012 and I was off and rolling. And then now, now, um, so now you're in making, like you're growing the wine or you're growing and making the wine in Santa Cruz. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. I don't know. It just gave me a sign of something. Um, we'll just start with that. So you are growing and making wine in Santa Cruz and you're also making it in a facility correct with, um, margins and Sturm wines, correct? Yeah, and Stagiaire wines. Stagiaire, awesome. Um, and these are, you know, all great uh, California wine people that we love and support. Um, you know, going back to Chardonnay um, and thinking about that, um, when you decided to start Flores, like, was Chardonnay, you, you were talking about Chardonnay and Pinot Noir and how those are, were you, did you come into this being like, I want to, like, recreate the, or like what, what made you choose the grapes that you did, I guess is the yeah. best way to phrase it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yes, I do farm, uh, a, not all my production cause that I just do not have the capacity as one person to do that. So I'm farming some Chardonnay and Pinot Noir in the Santa Cruz mountains. Um, and so is that like Capitola area? No, it's, uh, if basic, if you know where the mystery spot is, it's sort of like, I do. Yeah. In the mountains and redwoods, sort of. I've seen that. I've seen that. Um, the billboard for that on the freeway. Yeah. Well, my sister lives in Santa Cruz, and she or she's lived there for like the last ten years, and she also lived like in Capit because Capitola is like the it's like the further in one, right? We don't even get into this. This is boring. <laughs> like, no, okay. Anyways, you make wines by the mystery spot, which yeah, is magical. Yeah, sort of mystery wines. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's up off North Branch of 40 in short, if you know the roads here well. Um, but yeah, so kind of getting back to a little bit riffing on when I got into wine, Chardonnay and Pinot were really important to me. A lot of the places I've worked were Chardonnay and Pinot houses. Um, and so those, and Santa Cruz Mountains is well known for it. And so those were sort of always going to be part of my, my portfolio. Um, but then a variety, which I just think has like immense potential is Grenache. So I made Chard, Grenache and Pinot my first year and sure. uh, I'm pumped on Grenache because I think, I think it's a great translator of terroir. And like, I've worked with a few vineyards now, every wine's starkly different and um, yeah, just, it does well in the warmer places in California. And I always wanted to stay as much in Santa Cruz as possible. And I, I still strive to do that. Um, but to find some of the resources we don't have here, uh, there's just not a lot of vineyards, even less organic vineyards out here. So I've gone out more and more to bring in good fruit sources, just because there's not a lot of infrastructure. This isn't Sonoma. This isn't Paso. It's sort of a hodgepodge quilt work of like little mom and pop vineyards. And it can be kind of tricky to um, get fruit at all 
let alone for what work with. Well, also too because how, Santa I mean, Cruz like, is so, through? and Santa Cruz is so isolated. Like even if you're just taking like the 17, you know, like if that's how you're having to get in and out and like bring stuff into Santa Cruz, it's like it's hard to get shit into Santa Cruz, you know, like and and just navigating even like yeah. that infrastructure. Um, it's not a, a easily accessible place. Mm-hmm. Um, your Grenache actually though is one of the ones that I thought was so intriguing when I first tried your lineup because um Grenache is a grape that I have a lot of feelings about because it while it does do well in warmer climates, a, a lot of people make it way too alcoholic and like right. um ripe for me. And yours still had like really great, bright fruit punchy notes to it that I was like, oh shit, if someone if like this person can take Grenache in California, where it should be like off the charts ripe and like alcoholic as fuck and like create this like really juicy pretty um gorgeous wine that does not taste like from california like that's that to me shows like a real improvement in terms of like what we can do in california what with with winemaking you know like we're not maybe as beholden to the heat as we kind of think that we are totally yeah Good speaking of heat man it's hot where i am right yeah now. Uh, um also too, i'm in like, a so... little tiny little shed <laughs> you in the doghouse no 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 we're in our winery but i found like a little corner that was a bathroom that we demoed a little bit of and i put up <laughs> some sheets to make myself a little sound booth uh like a sound like a sound booth but i'm using a a spotlight to light everything and i think just the heat coming off of that is it's starting to get that you know it's starting watch it's out starting your makeup's to gonna melt off um yes so with santa cruz i think that santa cruz actually has like and for the reason i mentioned like your grenache and i mean you do make a more better right i'm not crazy um it's the field blend is probably what you're thinking okay it does it's zen it's predominantly zen and Mouved. okay yeah. um what I think is interesting about Santa Cruz, and you know, I love I love Megan's wines as well from Margins, uh, and I think um, something interesting about more wineries maybe working in Santa Cruz is that it does have that like microclimate. Yeah, I mean, do, is that is that a correct assumption? Like, I'm just a, I'm I'm putting that together just from my time I've spent in Santa Cruz personally, but to me, it feels like it's, um, you know, it is cooler there, and it has like its own. It's protected by its mountain range of having like a cooler climate than maybe, obviously, the Napa you know yeah no i think i think that's a super important part and yeah a big reason why i came here is a cooler climate wetter winters you're able to dry farm more easily um but if you do visit santa cruz it does have this different vibe and sometimes like the light comes through in a different way and there's a certain mist and it's just like the confluence of this of this, the mountains and the um the monterey bay just like smashing together but there's something special about it because it's like the first beachy feel in California. You go any further north and it gets cold and you go further south and then finally it warms up again. But Santa Cruz is just like this special pocket that, like you said, it almost has like natural barriers to get there. Like you have to go over the mountains to get there. Like there's only a few points of access and it's, it's definitely got this, I mean, it's got a dark energy sometimes, but it also has a super mystical magic. Well, it does have a dark energy. So my sister went to UC Santa Cruz and then never left because that's what happened. And she's in cannabis up there. Um, and, you know, you go there and there is like a very, um, like, you know, even like the fact that there is like the mystery spot, you know, it is like this kind of mystical redwood, like very like, you know, Santa, like you see Santa Cruz, I was, I was always like, this is like Hogwarts on the Shire. 
Like, right. it's like, you know, like, like, what is this? It's like, you're, you're in the forest and then you're on the beach and like having those things so close together. And also the road that I mentioned, the 17 right, is so like that. It's like a gnarly three lane, like highway that just people go like 80 miles an hour down. It's so winding and terrifying. And like, I, it, it's the worst. I hate that road. It's like my least favorite road in the do world. You, terrifying. Do you consider Santa Cruz, Northern California or Southern California or Central California? I consider. How could it, you ever consider it Southern California? What are you talking about? I consider it just, just its vibe. I consider it just I, well, it's vibe. I consider Northern California, but I know I, it's Northern California because my sister now says hella. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Which is not something that us Southern California. I feel like said. Santa Cruz and I feel like Santa Cruz and Santa uh, and uh, San Diego have similar vibes. They do. San Diego. I love San Diego as well. So beautiful down there. Um, and it also has that kind of beach town vibe. I like San Diego because it's a little more open. Santa Cruz is a, a little congested. Um, but down in San Diego, I mean, it's basically Mexico. It's like desert. So I'm, I'm not. Yeah, it's true. I Where I would like to grow grapes was a factor in why I ended up here. And I really didn't want to go too much further south because it just dries out. Yeah. Um, Except then again, like Adam, we were talking about like there's some of those old vineyards in like Cucamonga and stuff and they're dry farms, so it's possible. Um but well, if you go high elevation in Southern California, then 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 you got a little bit of a better chance. And like once you start going up into the mountains, but you know, if you look in, in any like the LA County fruit for the most part, it's all like it's it's you're you're it's it's drinking fruit leather. Yeah, yeah it's it's really yeah. right. um do you see, are you seeing more people coming to Santa Cruz, like for wine, like in, you know, like for the same reasons you are, are there more people that are interested in making wine there now, or is it still kind of slow, slow coming? Um, well, I think it's happenstance that there has been an influx of kind of all at the same time, a handful of inspired young producers, um, with new ideas and, so all of a sudden there's this new kind of vibrant energy and some of us have varying degrees of serious backgrounds however we got into wine but we we've kind of come in here serious about making good wines and um it's really exciting i mean there's the co-op i work with and you know um it's got us some attention because it is sort of unique and atypical and honestly, like some of the wacky stuff we're doing, I, I sort of think if we were in Sonoma, like there would have been more social pressure to like not do these things, but we're in this like bubble of Santa Cruz and it's like anything goes and we're just off on our, in our own little world, like trying to farm vineyards. And like make yeah, wine. it's like, um, like Peter Pan, not Peter, yeah. not, 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 no, Santa Cruz is like Peter Pan. People, it, it's like Never Never Land up there, and like it, it, it's funny because I've, I've, I'm like people do kind of like get so, like they get, up. yeah, they never grow. It's like Santa Cruz is like this magical place where you can like choose to never grow up and be like, like you were mentioning earlier, James, which I, I also think is like an interesting thing about winemakers in Santa Cruz because there is a darkness of Santa Cruz that a lot of people don't talk about. Like there is like you know a kind of sketchy. Um, like, you know, home, a really big homeless problem, a lot of violence, um, like down by the boardwalk and like the, you know, the, the, even the downtown area, which looks very affluent, you know, it's like, has like Sephora and like all this bullshit, but like, 
it's a dangerous, it can be a very dangerous area. And like, it, and like, and then, you know, you got the Lost Boys Bridge and like, there's like, you know, like there's so much in Santa Cruz, like this like kind of wild energy that mm-hmm. I don't know if you could get somewhere else, you know, like. Yeah, for just, sure. It's, it's got, it's, uh, it's, it can be a little crusty and yeah, the dark energy, but then it's also got, if you can see the beautiful parts, it's beautiful, but sometimes it can be a lot actually. I feel like I've my mood can kind of be up and down and I feel like sometimes you're like oh my gosh all the plants grow so well here and flowers in the ocean it's beautiful and then other times you're like it's cold it's wet there's people like shooting up in public like that's weird um yeah like it can get a little bit unpleasant for sure and then just people I don't know if it's like beach bum culture but a lot of people just like the and it's not everyone there's plenty of well-kept places but a lot of the homes and businesses are just like not kept, it's not kept up. So yes, oh, I know exactly. San Diego's like everything's immaculate, like everybody's garden is perfect and like wide open. Because you're a bunch of fucking hippies up there. Yeah, <laughs> way too much, way too much weed. People are just um, like, hey, I'll do it tomorrow. That it's true. Um, and also, like speaking of like you know, I um, I, I, I just realized anybody that's listening to this, it's like <laughs> uh, we're not shitting on. San- I mean, maybe we're shitting on Santa Cruz. But no, we're not I love I love I love Santa. I love Santa. Cruz. <laughs> I I love Santa Cruz. I've spent a lot of time there. It's one of my favorite places in the world. Um, it's so beautiful. Um, and that's I you know, but there is like I think this like weird. That's what part of what makes it magical is that there is almost like a uh um um. Uh, uh, like a uh, an evil like a, not evil that's the wrong word but there is like a darkness to it that almost balances out like that's why you have like these beautiful redwoods and like mm-hmm. all of these things and then you have this other side of it um speaking of you know your, the like your co-op situation with margins and sturm and um Sager, how did you guys all come together yeah so um well i guess i'll start with the, I guess I'll, I'll just tell my story, but um, I was working up in Sebastopol and I was gonna work a harvest up there, but I was sort of at the experience level where it was time to get a job, um, whether that's an assistant winemaker or a seller master or something. And I was always attracted to Santa Cruz. So I came to Santa Cruz and I reached out to really the only person I knew in wine here, which who was Megan Bell of Margins Wines. It was awesome. And uh, she was a colleague from college. And although we didn't know each other well, I feel like we had always clicked. Um, And so I felt comfortable reaching out to her. And uh, I also was really keen because she had just started her project um, making wine in 2016. And I've I've always been hell bent on, you know, eventually I'm going to be growing and making wine. So I wanted to ask her about that project. um, And She's like, I don't know why you're coming to Santa Cruz. There's no jobs here. Um, But we hang out. She pointed me in a few directions. I was applying to some places. And then she's like, oh, you should meet Ryan Sturm. Like he also has a lot of good insight on um, what it takes to start a wine brand because he's been in it longer than both of us. I think Ryan started in 2013 um, while he was still at Tyler Winery. And Ryan must have moved up here in 2015, I think. Um, or 16, not sure. Gonna have to fact check that. Anyways, met Ryan. Ryan actually needed a ton of help. He was farming like 30 acres and trying wow. to make and moving a facility. And uh 
anyways, I basically just start working for him and like part of compensation. Um, he's like, if you want to make some wine, um, you're welcome to do that. And uh, like, I jumped on the opportunity kind of knowing, like, honestly, at the time it felt riskier than it even is now. It always feels risky, but like, I was like, I don't know, this guy's young brand. Like I never heard of him and like Megan, I don't know. And like, it's a, well, and also Megan, she was still a uh, assistant winemaker. Um, but I kind of helped Ryan build out the winery he's currently in since he moved in there. Uh, we worked well together. We did some collaborative farming together. Everyone's kind of gaining their autonomy now, but that's really how I got here. Megan Bell, she showed me around hot tub naked at Santa Cruz. It's all good. Just friendship. That's how, that's kind of how it rolls. In Santa Cruz. <laughs> I don't even know you, but if the rules are no clothes, I guess I'm okay with this. <laughs> um, <laughs> And then, yeah, I met Ryan. And then later, uh, somehow Ryan had met Brent. And so he joined up in 2018. Yeah. And all this was slightly, be- I mean, not slightly, this was all before, not to say that we're going through a, a renaissance. Maybe we are going through a renaissance right now. Maybe that is a group, but like, this was all leading up to the current renaissance. Like, I remember when Ordinaire was doing their, um, they're like nouveau party, they're California nouveau parties. And when they started, it was, I, I don't know, I don't know the exact numbers, but maybe it was like 10 wineries, 12 wineries that were able to do it. And now when they do it, not only is it double or triple that, but I feel like there's people who are trying to get in who don't have their nouveau there. And because they're, and like we're going through this. So it was at the time when you guys were doing it, when you were like, Right. There was this aspect of it that was, I mean, it, not to say that it's not a big risk ever, but it was like, there's no, there, we, in California, we hadn't developed this sort of young vigneron culture so much yet in 2013, yeah. 2014, 2016. Like that didn't really, it you, like, it was one of those things where you built like a huge brand, like making 600 cases of wine was kind of unheard of to some degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah okay <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think though it has been opportunity like I'm like am I third wave already but I think I'm more probably like second wave but like Martha Stewman Lay Looms uh, well actually take it back maybe I'm third wave because it's like Tracy and Jared and Chris. I Paul. think yeah, you no. are like I think this is yeah. because right now I've been drinking more California on quarantine I mean like I've just started drinking wine again since my shingles are all taken care of but I've been drinking more California wine in like now than I have in the last couple of years. And okay, so um, I was right. So I'm right. All right. I feel comfortable. <laughs> I think you just weren't phrasing it correctly, but yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, no, I right. that's what I'm saying. I was really bored. Like I, when I, be, when I first started Bon Appetit in 2016, like I did my first big package for them was about California in about California wines. And that was like, you know, donkey and goat, um, you know, um, um, at Brock and like in, uh, you know, Jay Bricks and Scribe and Michael Cruz and like that kind of like, you, I would even say like maybe, you know, like John Bonnet's new California people. And then I feel like now, and then there was like, there's been kind of a, not a lull, but I think that people were kind of getting used to making wine. Younger winemakers were so getting used to the, the climate changing in California and like where learning, like figuring out where to grow and like how to pick and like do these things. But now I'm like, you know, tasting your wines and Megan's wines and like, you know, people like, you know, like gearhead wines and, uh, the Sager, you know, Ryan's even Adams, like it's this whole new group of young winemakers right now that I think are, 
are going to be um, bringing California back into the spotlight within the next couple of like, years. You know, I think that people will be over. There are um, not tons of us just yet, but um, it is kind of, it was a little bit opportunity. Like some of those people who have already been doing it, they sort of paved the way to let us a little, like get taken a little more seriously, a little more quickly. Cause in the early days, like natural wine, like no thanks, like, uh, like maybe some fringe places and now it's pretty commonplace, but yeah. Shout outs to like all the people, Method Sauvage, on Caval. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, there's so many, there's so many incredible young winemakers I feel like in our state right now. Yeah, I have a question for you. Farms. Um, yeah, the, the list goes on. It take me a second to think of everybody. Irene wines. Um, there's a lot of really good work being done subject to change. They actually, started Oh yeah. yeah. Well, quick question for you. Well, while still focusing on your stuff, James, um, you know, before we start recording, you mentioned that you just planted some gamay. Um, so did, did you plant that? Where did you plant it? And like, what's your plans with it? Um, yeah, so I'm pumped. So the one, this vineyard I'm putting a lot of energy into right now. And sometimes I'm almost like, oh my gosh, like it can be kind of depressing because it needs, it needs quite a bit of work to be honest. Is it in, is it in Santa Cruz? Santa Cruz mountains. So cool. this one, it's like 20 minutes. I live in Midtowns, 20 minutes into the mountains. Um, it's about um, almost two acres of shard and almost an acre of what was once Pino. It was first planted in the seventies and the site's ideal. It's very well-drained, sandy, loam soils um, and south facing. So c- combine well-drained and south facing, you're going to get, I mean, in my not so humble opinion, but recipe for good wine. Um, so I'm really excited about the quality of the site. Um, this wine has actually, uh, I can't remember exactly, like a third from that vineyard and then two thirds from another vineyard. And uh, he's talking about the Chardonnay that we're currently drinking. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but the Chardonnay, it's awesome that it's older vines, but it needs quite a few replacements. Um, and then the Pinot block was pretty Spartan. So, uh, the owner and I, and luckily he's a really great guy and is willing to take on a project, but he makes sure I have skin on the game. Like it's not for free. Um, what is it? What was he doing with the, uh, was it, is he, is he a hobbyist or is he a, uh... no, he just, he's a local contractor in the Santa Cruz area. And it was just the larger property. He's got a, a young family that they were able to move into. And he's, he's great. Like a lot of the things I'd want to be applying, like he's already doing, like I told him about, I was like, Oh, we should build a mobile chicken coop so we can take chickens around. <laughs> and he got all stoked and he bought an old trailer and like, we're going to have a mobile chicken coop. And then we're like, yeah, we could use like goats to eat like the poison oak and uh, like maybe graze in between the vines and stuff. And we just got baby goats last week. So it's awesome. badass. It's, and we're planning, we just planted 250 vines of Gamay last Saturday. And this Saturday we'll be planting 200 more. Um, and so it's incredible. This project is like, and you know, a lot of big professional companies, they look at this like, you know, this is so minuscule, but for me, that's what I have to work with. And it's really exciting. I get to plant the varieties I want, work it the way we want, working with organic viticulture. Um, and yeah. That's it, more than, that's so much more yeah. than a lot of people have the opportunity in California. You know, I mean, Adam and I, I think I we've beat this horse of death in the past but it's like 
it's really expensive to buy land. Like mo- most California winemakers do, do have to lease vineyards and like they don't always have control over how those, those vineyards I buy my grapes from Costco. <laughs> Along with your toilet paper, all of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, Adam, do you have any, do you have any questions for James? I feel like I've been, I've been like running the show over here. I was mom and hard today. Yeah, no. Um, I don't. I kind of actually wanted to ask about uh, Ridge. That's actually where I want, and like the the culture of Ridge in Santa Cruz, and if that's something that you, especially the younger generation, because like I think there's not anybody. I maybe maybe there is. Maybe there are people that don't look at Ridge as some sort of Paul Draper's a hero. California. Yeah, I would Paul, agree. Paul Draper's I, a I would hero. Think that every 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 winemaker kind of has to. I don't want to call every winemaker in California, but so like, is there like. Do you, do you feel any draw to that? I don't know. I just feel like you're going to Santa Cruz. Like, did you acknowledge? Were you like, oh man, fucking Ridge and like that? Kind of, like, I don't know. I just wanted to bring it up because I feel like you can't. James's face is like, nah. Yeah, he's like, I, I hate that shit. No, I'm just kidding. I I adore Ridge and I adore Mount Eden. And uh, normally when I bring up Santa Cruz, it sort of starts with them. I'm like, because people are like, you're growing wine in Santa Cruz, and I'm like, yeah. Luckily, there's a few like star players mount eden and ridge who've held it down and i mean yeah the ridge wines were in judgment of paris and it goes back so there's actually a rich history of santa cruz wine and they they're making phenomenal wines um and so they still are yeah yeah they're mind you of course like styles changing for like the wines maybe we're actively seeking but from a very classic standpoint um they've been doing good work for a long time and they're i think super significant and like yeah of course paul draper like marissa's saying basically a hero like he basically kind of brought the european um uh mentality to californian winemaking and he was you know i don't think they exclusively worked with native yeast but i think they moved well he he actually did mostly it was I mean, not to interrupt you, but I, I, I had the, I had the great honor of like meeting Paul Draper and like being in, like, um, I was at Ashes and Diamonds Winery a couple years ago, and Paul Draper spoke, and then I spoke, and it was really interesting because you know Paul Draper, like, you had like, yes, his wines were in the Judgment of Paris. They are like a backbone of California's wine history. Like, and when he, sp- it was really a very interesting um, conversation because when he was on stage um, speaking about his winemaking. It was all the same techniques that we, that we in natural wine really care about. You know, like he was talking about when he came, you know, like he really wanted to focus on the terroir and like really wanted to be terroir driven and was about native yeast and was like really against, you know, like additions and water and things like that and really wanted to preserve Santa Cruz. And he and I were talking about the same things. And then when I got up there, but phrased it in the like, uh, like the framing of natural wine, it was like everyone was fucking pissed about it. They were like so mad. I had like a line of like, because it's Napa, I had like a line of like old men to come up and like talk to me and like tell me about how wrong I was about everything. And it was so interesting to me that it's like, oh, like we can all, like everyone revolves Paul's work. And he's basically talking about the same things that we talk about in natural wine. He just doesn't call it that. And it was like, to me, I'm like, this just goes to show that like there really isn't, it's just about good winemaking, like, and who cares about, you know, the land and well, their wines. Yes. One of the things I've always loved about Ridge is they put the ingredients in- ingredients on their labels. And if they, like, add water or they add anything, anything at all, they put it on their labels. And to me, like, 
maybe the ad maybe the additions don't make it natural but the fact that they list what they're doing kind of puts them in an yeah that kind of puts them in a in a natural space for me and then i was gonna ask you also about bonnie dune is that anything that you uh because those are like those yeah. are santa cruz wines right and very hallmark santa cruz like nobody gets into wine and doesn't know about Le Cigar Volant and like Bonnie Dune. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, because, you know, now you guys are highly specialized in the natural spectrum, which, yeah, like talking about a lot of these other places, probably they don't fall into the, the category that has developed right now, but there's a lot of parallels um, to where we've gotten. Um, but yeah, of course, Bonnie Dune is an important player too. And um I got distracted. They pushed bio, they, they pushed biodynamics before anyone else. Yeah, they were one of the first people in California yeah. to do biodynamics. Yeah, Randall Graham was super innovative. Um, but I think, you know, I haven't done my homework, but I think the brand has been in transition and may no longer be or they were purchased by somebody. It's but not I think, his. I think Randall Graham is still has his Pombolishone vineyard, which is planted by seed so the varieties are um out of this world well they're just going to be they're they're not going to be yeah. any, it's going to be they're heterozygous so you get different ex expressions um so it's going to be like this totally different experiment vineyard which is cool and it'd be actually interesting to know what he's up to um i'm, I'm not exactly sure but that that brand has been going through some i'm not sure some changes but yeah all important but yeah, anyways. Uh, the other question I wanted to ask you is um, with, <laughs> when you were breeding poison dart frogs, yeah. how Wait, much what? weed were you growing? Were you growing weed too? I was, how much weed have you grown? I was trying to grow weed. But I was, <laughs> I was like getting caught, but yeah, we would like get I some. Need to say, I need to set you up with my sister. Like literally all, like her entire job, like she's just been in cannabis for like the last 10 years. Her like, all she does is like plant and open wellness centers and shit. I'm like, oh, we can get you growing weed in no time. Yeah. <laughs> now it's still, I mean, now there's some starts in the backyard, you know, from a friend who works at a nursery and it's, uh, it's like, you don't have to hide it anymore. You don't have to like convert your closet. Wait, 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 wait. A, let's go back, room. which I've done before. Actually, it was a bad idea, but let's go back to the real question here. Poison frogs. What the fuck? Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I was just like a esoteric hobbyist in high school and like the only class which appreciated me I got like best student of the year in ornamental horticulture <laughs> what a guy um also yeah. Santa Cruz is the only place to probably Wait, have a, 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 a what class is, like that I don't even I don't even know what ornamental horticulture is does that mean like, like bushes that look like elephants? just you know like we had a greenhouse and propagate plants and I grew like thousands of basil plants and sold them at the farmer's market until I got kicked out because I wasn't like a... <laughs> <laughs> so wait, so are you currently breeding the poisonous frogs or did you used no, to? That was in high school. I kept okay over like, it was a hobby. Um, I thought that you were currently also breeding poisonous frogs. No, no. Now the, the passion has become wine and it really consumes me now. I still keep up with hobbies a little bit. I've been like wrenching on an old scooter lately. It's been super fun. Um, a razor or? I'm just kidding. It, no, it's a <laughs> 1984 Yamaha Riva 180. Oh. I know. 180 bucks. Need a new carburetor. Do a bunch of work. I've got some friends who are pretty into motors. So it's, it's fun. Just get to wrench them, you know. 
So, uh, like, for a, like our a listeners, horsepower? What? Like one horsepower? Like how? What is? Oh no, this thing. This thing rips. It's a one eighty. So we we're also into little scooters, but this thing's like highway capable. Crazy. Don't do it. You're gonna get hurt. I'm like, I I get, I get scared. Um, for all, like, I've had too many friends that get hurt on those on scooters and motorcycles. I'm like, no, don't do it. Um, what was I gonna ask you? Um, I forgot. Adam. Let me finish the poison dart frog story. So yeah, <laughs> sorry. It's just okay. It's it's still even though now I'm older and like I was a kid then, like between the ages of 16 and 18 or something. But it was significant still to me because I was I guess successful at it. But I had all these different species of poison dart frogs, which if you've seen them are the ultra colorful frogs from Southern America, from Southern America, from <laughs> South America. You're like uh, Louisiana. <laughs> yeah. And they're, they're, a lot of them are really small. So they're super cute, photogenic, like you call them thumbnail species because they're the size of your thumbnail. And they're like bright red and, blue and purple and pink. And uh, like I had 18 different species that I was actively breeding and selling other hobbyists and so like it was like almost like this little business i was making like a few grand every couple this sounds like how fucking coronavirus got started the breeding of like weird animals yeah and selling and yeah it was like a whole hobby and yeah it was you know the internet forum so that's kind of how you learned about it and uh it's amazing to see just where that hobby's gone in the like what used to be rare back in the days now totally changed and it's, so you mean like like everyone's breeding now thumbnail poison frog like it's like past no. <laughs> just the hobby world's gotten more serious and like a frog that used to be like some of them were rare and expensive so it's like a three hundred fifty dollar frog. Yeah, so it's kind of like, <laughs> and now no well, one gives a shit like, about those frogs. Yeah, it's kind of like wine in a way. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, because I, there's like that's another really interesting thing. I'm wondering how like a lot of these like what we're what's exciting now but then what's next you know the new shiny star and like it's going to be interesting as more people maybe try to do it um just i think well i think the answer is you know like good growing good craftsmanship never goes out of style but it's uh it's hard business to stay up with yeah uh james uh for our listeners um are you doing any direct sales or are you uh like how can we people see get you, a hold bro. of this bottle yeah, yeah broken bro doesn't have to hide in the zoom it's fine <laughs> whatever uh, if, are you doing any direct sales or how can people purchase your wine or is it still just like you're distributing through wine shops i stuff? definitely should be doing direct to consumer <laughs> more amy uh, atwood's gonna be like god damn it marissa like <laughs> Well, it's, it's good for all of us um and it it's a priority but i feel like partnering with these really important people amy atwood and jenny francois in new york and then some other smaller guys in washington and arizona like those kinds of partnerships were um kind of priorities and absolutely like is important for me to be able to like get the wines into the good places and then be able to move forward and make wine again, as opposed like if I sat around on wine kind of trying to only do DTC, I don't know how successful I could have been. Um, I guess I was just trying to see how people can get your wine now. Oh, so, sure. So yeah, Amy Atwood is I'm, distributing it here and then Jenny and Francois. Yeah. And for, yeah. And then Selection Sauvage in Arizona 
and he's working with some cool producers and then Kylie imports up in uh, Washington. But, you know, I'm in the fortunate position of the, the 2018s are gone and I don't even, I don't, I actually didn't even keep enough. I don't really even have anything. I have a little bit, which I, I've been planning to do a little bit of a web release, but I honestly, some of the wines like the free solo and the, uh, Shangri Ali, the Mendo Sauvignon Blanc and the, um, the Grenache, I released those a while ago and they've, they've, those been, were in like the fall. Yeah. So, uh, I kind of, I just didn't make that much wine and I partnered with good people who sell wine and they're kind of gone right now. So anyways, all those people who I promised, if you sign up for my newsletter, you'll be promised the <laughs> first access. It's coming soon. Eventually. Hopefully with yeah. the next release or maybe like- Well, a- people forget that wine is seasonal. They don't realize that wine is seasonal. Like it does sell out. It's like, it's, it's not, it's, you know, it's not- something that's out in the fall is going to still be available now. That's what's been hard about like writing about wine for print. Cause I'm like the stuff that's available now is not available in like five months, you know? Yeah. Um, but well, that's, but yeah. people, but people can be on the lookout for it. Um, there, there are shops that probably still do have it, but it, it is probably a little bit harder to find than normal. Um, my wife has it. If you guys want to go, if you're in Pasadena. Oh, a nice, a nice good plug luck for wine shop. <laughs> Yeah. We got a yeah, good, was- good plug here. How's that going, Adam? Really well. I mean, it's really is Kate's. It's Kate's project. I mean, I, I'm helping her with manual labor stuff, but as far as like uh, the shop and and buying and all that stuff, that's all. That's all. That's all her. It's her. Her vision. Her palette. Her everything. So uh, it's going well. You know, uh, Pasadena had a little bit of a. It, it's where we live. It's where my wife is from. And um, yeah, there was a bit of a. Uh, a, a need that we kind of noticed and we had the opportunity. So our winery space has two addresses. And so w- when we got that, we, we had, oh, we'd been looking for that, but it wasn't necessarily make or break. So when we got the second address in this one, we were like, we're definitely doing a wine shop because yeah, there's a bit of a, there's, there's a need in Pasadena. The people are here and they want to drink the wine. Yes. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, there's there's a little bit of a learning curve for some people, but you know, they're digging it. There's repeat customers. It's only been like a week and a half. Nice. Oh, yeah, they open. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So everyone, yeah, good luck. Wine shop is now open in Pasadena. Congratulations. If you're in Pasadena, we're Pasadena only. I think I and saw you guys had been doing some deliveries, but are people able to That's come? all we're doing. Okay. We can't. We're, we're just not opening the shop because, but no one can really go in anyway. But so look we're just what I got delivery delivered. Oh, yeah. I cool. got. I got my very own. Well, you're uh, a little Flores bit. Flores wines, moon milk delivered from. You're a little from, bit out uh, of the delivery area. Fuck you, Adam. <laughs> no, that's not what I mean. I'm saying we're in Pasadena. I'm teasing you. I'm teasing you. I'm never out of your delivery area. God damn it. Um. <laughs> Also, what have you been up to lately, Marissa? Are you busy writing or how's so I had shingles for you? So we can also we can we can just talk and catch up and like not have this in the ep- in the episode. I feel like no one's gonna want to hear this since we had it. Um, I so I got shingles. Well, then do you want to? <laughs> then do you want to end it? Should we end it? I feel like we should say goodbye in a natural way, and you can edit it, Adam. Like, okay, we should just say goodbye well, at the end. Um, I'm probably not gonna edit it. So. Oh. oh my god okay well let's say goodbye and then i can fill james in on my life all right uh 
everyone, thank you for listening. James, thank you so much for joining us and for making some bomb-ass wines. And, uh, yeah, and, and good luck wine shop to delivering to me. I'm uh, also very excited, James, with to see uh, you're the little incubator that you guys are all a part of. And like, I, yeah. you guys all make such cool wine. And I, it's what's so cool is I feel like you guys are all really doing your own thing, which is impressive um that you that there is so little crossover i feel like stylistically like when i drink a wine from each individual place like i or each individual producer like i really feel like i'm drinking that person which i find really cool and also i don't know i'm just really excited for it as as just as a consumer and then also as somebody who has no training i love learning from you guys even though you know yeah i i like it's just great it's always exciting yeah cheers to that thanks yeah well thank you for joining us james and everyone uh, be on the lookout for james's wines um now and upcoming all right okay bye, bye guys <laughs> bye. thanks for having me